how would you describe your style on bass? My style is a combination of all the bass players. And I'll tell you why. Because by the time I came in, which was after Rodney Ski Curtis, um, I had to learn everybody's style. I had to learn Billy Bass Nelson because of the material that he was doing or had did or recorded. I had to learn Cordell Boogie Monson for his period. I had to learn Bootsy for his period. And like I said, Ski um, for his period. Now, these are some of the main P-Funk bass players from my time, you know. And once I got the spot, I realized how much pressure was on my shoulders, you know, with learning the different styles and how they play to keep the gig. You know what I mean? Because a lot of them guys would come around, but a lot of them wasn't around a lot, too. So it was on me to, to do a lot of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I would say a combination of all of those guys would make up my style towards playing with George. But as me as a bass player, I would say my style is more kind of blues jazz oriented with sprinkles of rock you know uh from the bass player side of it uh when i pick up the bass i don't necessarily go for what geezer would be doing from black sabbath or nothing like that uh but i don't necessarily go for what larry graham is doing neither but I will incorporate their styles in wherever I see fit. Now, I know that I love progressive. I love some Stanley Clark. I got turned on the Jocko through Star Colors and, and Rodney Ski Curtis. I wasn't really often to Jocko. I knew about him, but I wasn't often to him like, like I was a Stanley Clark or something. Stanley's my guy too, yeah. You know what I mean? I was really off into that guy. And you will hear sometimes like my when I when I do speedy stuff, I'm thinking about Stanley. When I'm doing syncopative stuff, real syncopative, hardcore, funky stuff, I'm thinking about Cordell Bo Boogie Monson. When I'm going for stuff, um, effects and stuff like that. I'm thinking about a boogie, I mean, a, a Bootsy. The Bootsy to me was a scientist when it came to effects. You know, incorporating the Mutron was legendary, but it wasn't just the Mutron. When you talk to Bootsy about effects, man, you're gonna get a lesson because his, his pedal board is just ridiculous. You know, I, I not like that. I, I got a little bit of what I need, but those are the things that I incorporated from from those guys, you know. Um, but you know, I like all kind of guys. I, you know, one of my favorite upright players. He's not with us anymore, but he. I used to watch Mur Griffin every day just to watch Ray Brown play, because hmm. it was one of those things where my dad used to watch that show. <laughs> Mer, you said you said Mur Griffin, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, I used to watch him just because of Ray Brown, you know, and I, I liked 
what he was doing at that time. Um, through my girl Star Colors, I met Buster Williams, um, who also played with Herbie and uh, in his own thing too. And great upright guy. And uh, but it's like you know, I like I like a lot of bass players, man. You know, I like Les Claypool, man. You know, I like. I try to think about all of those guys, man, you know, when I'm doing something. And it depends on what kind of song I'm writing. I try to weld these people up inside me, you know what I mean, and bring that to the table. And like I said, bring in yourself as well, you know, because you will eventually start bringing yourself once you learn who you are, you know what I mean? I, I felt like I never really had a voice until maybe about maybe 10, 15 years ago, man, you know. And when I start doing live shows for my own self and my band, and you get in front of people, you'll find out who you are. <laughs> you will, because you know, you start reaching for things and like whatever works, you want to see the reaction from the people, you know. So yeah, you know. Well, I, I, I like I, the naked funk band. That's good stuff. Yeah, some good stuff, man. I I I'm trying my best now to um work out something i got a couple of guys who want to bring that to europe uh but it's all good everybody wants to do it you know but i gotta find the time and george is right now working his brains out man as soon as i find some opening spots you know and every like this time i'm off now was three weeks but and now it's been cut to two and when I'm home, I want to rest, you know, so I can go back out. So I'm just now starting to get back into trying to do some things with Star's record that I need to try to finish. And but when I come off the road now, man, it's like, ooh, I'll be so beat down now, dude. It ain't like when I'm 30 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just be tired, man. Well, that I mean, the way you guys are touring has made it challenging for me to catch up with any of you. You know, I, I had, I don't know if you know who's also been on the show, but I had uh, Danny was on. I, was, I went to your link and I seen, you know, a couple people. Garrett was on. Yeah, yeah. Danny. Yeah. And uh, then some other, you had some, some cameo people too, I think. Oh, yeah. I've had all kinds of this. I've done over 50 of these shows. So, I mean. Yeah, that's great. Good for you, man. I'm glad to be a part of it. I feel honored now. <laughs> I want to ask you, what are a couple of your very favorite uh, tracks to play? Uh, P -funk to play? Yeah, P-Funk tracks. What are your couple of very well, favorite? Well, I just go from stuff that I'm doing now live. I'm loving But the Bud Resuscitation. I'm loving Super Stupid. I have a deep, passionate love for Cosmic Slop. Mm -hmm. Um. And I, I, you know, I, I love I love stuff like, you know, Alice in My Fantasy. <laughs> you know, I'm more like you're on the Rocky stuff. Yeah, I'm more more of that, man. You know, Red Hot Mama, Alice in My Fantasy. Um, there's a few songs that we never play. I like uh, Jimmy's got a little bit of bitch in him. Um, just. Stuff that's avant-garde, you know, that's like not the biggest hits, you know what I mean? And we can all say flashlight, and but I'm a bass player, and that was a synth bass, so I won't say that, you know what I mean? Uh, knee deep, synth bass, One Nation, synth bass. I'm playing them live when we play, but except for flashlight. Now, Danny, George figured out Danny knows it note for note. 
So like, Lodge, can you lay out and let Danny do it? Not a problem. I'm laying out. I'm like, I can go have a drink and uh, go to the bathroom, <laughs> whatever I got to do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the songs that I like are pretty much the, you know, the ones that, the ones that I'm learning for this Lodge Belly thing I'm doing, um, uh, Phil Maneuvers, um, uh, what did we do today? We did um, Good to Your Ear Hole. I like that kind oh, of yeah. stuff. Love that one. Yeah, we're doing that one. Um, you know, it's just a, a few little things that we're doing that I just want to be over here to the left a little bit. Some people can like, oh, wow, what's that? You know, rather than, oh, yeah, he's playing One Nation. Yeah, you know. I'd rather get the oh wow, you know, what is that? Oh wow, that's a deep one. I never, well, I gotta get that album. I like to hear people say that, you know, even if it's like 40 years old, a record or whatever, you know, because now you should still buy them, just go online or whatever and do your thing. You'll find them somewhere, you know what I mean? Are, are there any of those cuts that you're just kind of really tired of, you know? Uh, probably the, well, I asked George that question, man. I said, do you ever get tired of Flashlight and Knee Deep and One Nation? No, never. No, no. He loves the stuff. He never gets tired. But yeah, we do sometimes. You know, you get tired of playing the same thing. But here's what I do for that. Every time I feel like I'm getting tired, I try to invent something else to do to the song, to keep my interest in it. You know what I mean? So it won't get boring to me. So that's pretty much why. Well, Danny, when he was on, he said that, um, you know, you're playing them all the time, but he says he never plays it exactly the same every time. No, so. no he doesn't. You, 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 it depends on who's playing what on stage. You don't want to clash with this chord or that chord. I know where he's coming from with that. Um, but no, you don't play them the same every night. Like, Especially the parts where I call them like the show parts, you know, the song, the stuff, the stuff that's outside of the actual song. Like when we do uh, flashlight, um, there's a part in the middle of the song where the horn player solo. Yeah, Greg gets off. Greg, Benny, they they, they solo there. So, but be, the solo. What brings it in is we go into this freedom jazz dance thing. So that brings us into the, their solos. Now, once we enter the solos, I'm free to play whatever I want to play. So that's what Danny's talking about, too, as far as you can play whatever, depending on those spots, and you can change whatever, depending on those spots. So every night, Instead of me just coming up with one thing and just doing it every night, those are the kind of spots I like to, all right, I'm going to try this here. Or my pedal board, hmm, what if I try this with that, you know? And those, those particular sections in the, in the show, they go pretty fast. But you get a chance to do something different. So it keeps your mind, like Benny Cowan, the trumpet player, is like, I like what you do, Lige. You keep it interesting every night. So that's what I want to hear, you know what I mean? Rather than, ah, what you doing? I don't know. Can you do something else, you know? So I, I like to try to keep it fresh, 
keep the funk going on. And sometimes I'll even sit up like on days off, man. You know, I I still practice a lot, you know, when I can, you know what I mean? And I'll, I'll sit up and try to work out different things in the show. That's, that's purposely different because I'm tired of playing it like this and I'm trying to doing it like that. So I'll try to figure out something to switch it around a little bit and make it interesting for me. You know what I mean? And then when you see the reaction of other people and they like it, then, you know, you're on the one man, you know, <laughs> like if you give me that smile or something after we did something, I know I'm on the one man. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, as much as I love so many of those songs, I, I do get burned out on them hearing them live, but some yeah. of them like cosmic slop, I never get tired of hearing that song. Yeah. You know, some of them just have something that, Man, you just cannot wear them out. <laughs> I know. And that song never was a hit record like that. It was just only a big hit with the fans, you know. It wasn't where, I mean, hit record in the way of radio, you know. Radio, it wasn't like knee deep or something like that. You know? It should have been, though. It should have been on rock radio. That's deep. And that's another story, too, right? I had that conversation with Vernon Reed and, you know, black rockers and things like that and and we all know that you know Funkadelic was definitely some of the pioneers of that you know what I mean outside of who we know Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Bo Diddley we know that that's rock and roll legendary history or whatever but those guys came in with a rock attitude and they mixed it with R&B and they mixed it with gospel, you know, and, uh, and like like I said, you can hear it, you know. They listen to a lot of lot of you know legendary rock bands too, you know. You can hear them, you know, like Super Stupid is one. That's one of them ones that you know. Yeah, they listen to a lot of Zeppelin around that time, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you could just tell. Even Billy Bass will tell you, you know, like man, me and Eddie was just. He was crazy about a whole lot of love and all kind of good shit. When you when you hear him talk about what they listen to, then you understand why they sound the way they sound. You know what I mean? He was very deep into like that kind of shit, you know. And that's that's what I liked about him. You know, I didn't know that until I met them after I got in the band. You know, you start asking like, "Who did you listen to? <laughs> Who turned you on?" You know. <laughs> When I go to the shows, I mean, it just makes my night, you know, for the experience when you throw in a butt-to-butt resuscitation or you dust off the goose, you know, and you yeah. bring out some of these just amazing cuts that are deep in the catalog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The goose is another one. I love that. I love that one, too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I really appreciate all your time, Elijah. Before uh, we wind this up, I did want to talk about this brand new uh, project oh, here. Yeah, a cosmic jazz funk adventure. I mean, that's the guy. It's, this, to make a long story short, this is a guy, he's a fan, you know, and um, he's from New York and he, his name is David Schwartz. And he, you know, always came to the BB King Club shows, you know, and, you know, I never noticed this guy. You know what I mean? So he hooked up with Danny Bedrosian, 
And they started talking. and uh, So Danny kind of comes to us and tells me, you know, about this guy and what he wants to do. And he wants to do a record. And he's working with some guys from Detroit. You know, I know all those guys. I know Kern. I know Gabe. You know, all the rest of the guys on the, the, the Detroit part of it. Because Danny, myself, and Benzel, we recorded our stuff, our part of that record, in New York. And we had just came off of one of Danny's Secret Army tour. And uh, he caught us at a good time, you know. And then uh, Blackbird, he ended up doing his parts. And Greg Thomas, they did their parts out in L.A. here, you know. And uh, that's kind of the way it was with this record. Everybody was doing their thing, you know, in different spots, you know what I mean? So, but that's the, the newest thing that, uh, that's pretty much, that's, that's, that record is getting a lot of play. It, it's shocking me because it's like I told dude, you know, David Schwartz, I said, I don't know what kind of marketing you got. He said, well, you guys are my marketing. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I'm not, I'm not asking you guys to do this for nothing. You know, it's like I'm going to use you guys' name and da, 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 And he's doing pretty good. You know, I mean, he's going to release the thing. You got a copy. And so many fans on Facebook have already hit me up talking about how much they love it. And it sounds good. It's, it's, not, it's you know, for me, a record like that, you know, we do those things all the time. It depends on if they get noticed or not. <laughs> so when this one is getting noticed, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. That's working for me, you know. Well, you got it nicely packaged, you know. I mean, not yeah. everything gets, you know, some of the stuff only is a download or it's not as nicely packaged, you know. So yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of fans have already showed me everything. They got the t-shirts. They got everything. <laughs> so he's doing good. I can't wait to see him again and ask him how he's doing, you know, with the whole marketing thing and selling and, you know, all this and everything. But this, I'm proud of that. This this was the other one that I that I didn't mention, but I wanted to because oh, I'm on Garrett. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the dirty diapers. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty strong record. Yeah, I'm glad you think so. You know what I mean? Um, oh, he would love for you to hear that from you. I mean, because his thing, we all know he's a shiter. <laughs> and his mother was a writer, too. She wrote stuff like Liquid Sunshine, you know, and all that stuff on the Parliament stuff. So between Gary and Linda, his mom and dad, he got something going on, you know. But I always encourage Garrett to just keep practicing more, keep playing more and more. His father was a genius. And those are some big-ass shoes to fill. You know, so that's one of the main reasons why I want to help him do his first record, because I want to see him at least have some some reputable people from the P-Funk and his dad. I know he's smiling down on him right now and everybody that helped him do that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, he asked Danny, he asked myself, uh, a few other people. George is on it, you know, so he's he definitely and he's selling a lot of them damn things, too. <laughs> You know what I mean? He's really selling a lot of. He won't even sell them on the concession table. He does them himself right after the show. He won't let the guy out there at the concession do it. <laughs> he wants to see the money come straight to his pocket. You know, <laughs> which is a good thing. I'm not knocking it. You know what I mean? Me myself, I'm more of a CD baby dude. You know. 
or your own website. You can buy yeah. CD bait. Yeah, you know, I, as far as packaging up shit, running to the post office every other day, no, not gonna do it. <laughs> hey, you know, so so. Hey, where where did the uh, <clears throat> the name Lige come from? Is that a family name or what? Yeah, it is actually a family name. Good, you should ask that. Um, my mother's father, his name is Lige. My mother, her maiden name is Hampton, like Michael Hampton. Michael's dad and my mother are brothers and sisters. So their father was named Lige. Out of all of the children, out of all of the, the, uh, the, the boys that my, mom, my, my grandmother and my grandfather had, none of them, none of her, uh, their sons was named after the father, Lige. So I'm the oldest in my family. And um, my mother said that her first boy, if she had a boy, she was going to name him after her father, which was his name was Lige. Lige, his name's Lige Hampton. So I'm Lige Curry, but my father is a Curry. So have you ever met well, anyone else with that name? Oh, yeah, it's a bunch of Lodges. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. yeah it's a bunch of, good look at your, go online, you'll see. You know, I mean, it, and I was gonna say go go look at your phone book, but we don't use phone books. No. <laughs> You're still in that analog thing, man. I'm still in the analog world, and shit. <laughs> but right now, I'm, as mixing stars record, I kind of want to stay in an analog frame because it's not so much a mixing, but recording it. Um, I wanna I wanna shit the sound like fat analog, but under this digital format. So I've been doing everything I can to make it sound fast. So I might be a little analogy out lately. <laughs> analog this, analog that. So we got Star to look forward to. We got some Lige Delic maybe to look forward to. Well, and you got, yeah, you got Lige Delic. Um, Star definitely. Star Colors crew. I'm hoping that it's going to be done by summer. I'm hoping. Shouldn't be that bad. We should have it by done, by done. hopefully. Uh, yeah, and then Lige Curry, I'm doing, um, I'm working on a record now where it's going to just be live drums. I'm not doing no more drum machine recording. No more. I'm going out with just live. Favorite. I endorse that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just tired of programming drum machines. I'm trying, tired of comparing this drum machine to that drum machine, to this sound, to that sound. The only drum machine that I think I, I like now only is the 808. <laughs> it's going back. This is legendary, you know what I mean? But I, I, I just, you know, as far as sampling and looping, and that's all good. But from what I'm going for now, it's just live drums. Like, I just gave um, a couple of songs to Tracy Lewis. Because mm -hmm. he's probably one of George's main writers now. Um, but I gave a couple of songs to him. One of them is called Toilet Seat. And I'm hoping that... See, okay, I'll let the cat out the bag. We're working on a P-Funk All-Star record, too. <clears throat> There's only one out. And this is the second. Were you so on this one? On yep. That guy. So... 
we got another one now that we're working on and we're trying to so i get i just gave up tracks for trey Lou to start writing the p-funk all-star stuff and i'm hoping that george goes in that direction and uses the stuff you know and uh and then i'm writing just trying to just keep writing period you know i haven't wrote nothing new lately because there's so much stuff that i gotta finish you know <laughs> i hate doing projects and get to the point where you don't finish i want to finish everything um it's one record that you didn't ask me about that i'm gonna try to get back online this is something that i did from with a guy over in europe it's called transfuncation and um i don't have a copy of it around i gotta get it uh, well, that's the one that came I out get, like a year ago right yeah and the guy died man mm -hmm. that i was doing the thing on you know he was from germany he was from berlin germany and um but i had everybody on it you know i got from treze to garrett to everybody on it and uh, it's a good record danny says it's one of his favorite ones to this day you know and uh but that's one that i'm gonna try to get back in circulation because when the guy died he had a lot of the um well he had ordered like a thousand you know what i mean copies and then when he passed away, I don't know where, who got it, who got what, you know. And so I, because I didn't know his people that well, you know what I'm saying? So I'm still trying to figure it out. I might have to re-release it, you know, so it's straight. Because when he passed away, he obviously had a lot of stuff that I needed to get from him to help keep promoting the damn thing, you know. So I'll try to figure out. I, I, my, the first thing I'm thinking is re-release it, you know, uh, and just put it out again, you know. But I'll I'll figure it out some kind of way. I said for those who are watching, you can get that on CD Baby, right? Yeah. 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 Transfuncation. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So how many viewers do you have, man? You have a bunch of them. Well, I've got a hundred thousand views since I started this last year. Whoa, you ain't joking. There's nobody, nobody is, is doing funk like this. Nobody's going back and getting all the great funk artists and giving them their due and, and, and getting those stories. And, and, you know, when I do it, it's all about the music and the artists. Yeah, it's not about the celebrity. It. It's not about, you know, this and that. It's the music. Yeah, I got it. And, and I'm here. I'm here to help preserve it and save that legacy, those legacies. And, um, you know, it deserves a lot more attention. The funk has gotten yeah. underserved too much throughout the years. Say underserved. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought, Scott, that funk should have been a category at your American Music Awards. Best funk artist, best funk duo, best funk group. Because funk ain't R&B and funk ain't hip hop. Funk is what it is. And I always thought that it was enough groups from Cameo to Confunction to the Barcades to Rick James. To, if you go back and if you know any history of the funk festivals that we used to do, it was enough music and artists to create that genre, to make it legit at any, like I said, American Music Award, at any Grammy Award, it should be best 
funk something all the time. I feel like it should be because everybody ain't funky. And what they call in funk a lot of times is not the type of funk that George pioneered. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and it might be funky. I ain't knocking it, but ain't nothing like the big one over here where he doing it. Mm-hmm. Nothing compares to this style of funk. And I'm and I love James Brown. You know, he kind of pioneered the word. He brought it in, funky this. But James was more soul and RB to me. You know, and Boosie will even say that. You know what I mean? Because when Boosie moved over here with George and mixed up with the Funkadelics, because if you listen to Boosie's first three records. Those are the best Bootsy records. Why? Because Gary Scheider, Michael Hampton, Cordell Boogie Monson, George Clinton, Bernie Worrell, all those Funkadelics are incorporated into that rubber band sound, which made that different. After that third record, that fourth record that Bootsy did, sounds nothing like that. I, I didn't even really like this boot is made for funking. You know, yeah. I really didn't feel like that was a good Bootsy record, you know. Definitely I mean? dropped off. <laughs> yeah. I saw. How I you saw, like Bootsy's new record? I'm gonna get your opinion on that one. Uh, well, first off, I saw them at the uh, LA Forum in '78, right at the peak of that, when they had that whole band, Maceo and um, and yeah. Catfish, and man, they were tight. That was an amazing show, Player of the Year. Yeah, um, but um, the new Bootsy record, I, I, I like agree. it. I like that. I do too, actually. You know, some of my funk counterparts don't like it that much. I like it, actually. I like the fact that he incorporated a lot of different people like Victor Wooten and all of these other bass players. And he would never do that back in the 70s, (laughs) you know. But I'm glad. I I actually like the record. It's kind of corny, but that's what Bootsy is. Bootsy's not as hardcore as Funkadelic. He's always been more commercial and pop, you know. But still funky as shit. Yeah, I mean, there's like six or seven tracks in there that are funky as hell. Funky as shit, man. I was like so glad to hear it. I was like, he's back. He's <laughs> back. You know, I'm a bass player, so I'm like loving whatever he's doing. And I just hope that he stays and sticks to his own format, you know. Yeah, yeah I wonder if he's going to he's gonna tour again because now he's just doing like speaking engagements. <laughs> yeah, well... You know, he, he, I don't know if you heard, but he's been sick lately, you know, and uh, he had to take a break. He couldn't even play his bass because I think it had a lot to do with his hearing, you know. So the doctor told him to rest for like six months or something, six to eight months. So he might be still getting his stuff together now. And But, you know, the releasing of it definitely let people know that he was still relevant. You know what I mean? Um, but what people really want to see is him and George get back together. Of course, yeah. That's what people and they know it too. But they just, oh, I don't, I don't. You know, superstars, man. After a while, they, they you know, I don't know what it takes to to bring people together. You know, anymore. You know, it just. Well, I know, I know they saw each other at the Nam show at least. Yeah, you seen that on Periscope? Yeah. That was crazy. Because <laughs> Boosie is so like, I always crack on him like, you know, he carries his spotlight wherever he goes. 
it was like always this commotion. Like James Brown was like that, and he's from James Brown. So James Brown would come in a room and it'd be like, oh, James Brown is here. Oh, James Brown. Oh, oh. You know, and that's kind of how Boosie is, you know. And George is like the opposite. Like if you give him play, it's cool. He can handle it either way. He can be low-key or he can be like this bigger-than-life guy. It don't matter to him. But with Boosie, it's almost like if he's going to step outside of his house, spotlight has to come down. <laughs> the lighting has to be right. He has to be wearing the right shit, you know. That ain't like Clinton. He's a total. And George is, to me, loved a lot more, way more than Boosie, you know what I mean? I know people love Boosie, but George is like, especially now, George is like a big teddy bear to people, man. They love him, man. <laughs> I mean, everywhere he goes, he just brings a smile on people's face from from little kids to people his age, you know? It's so, Everybody it's, got so cool. it's so cool the way he's so approachable, you know? He's very approachable, bro. Yeah. And he never needed bodyguards or that kind of thing like that, you know? He, that's overrated, you know? He likes to – he has a meet and greet thing that he does now. You know about this? I've seen it. I haven't been to one. Yeah, I mean, they pay like 200 bucks and they get a picture with him or some shit, you know what I mean? And even that, he could charge more. I say, I said, do you know what Gene Simmons charged, George? He's like, what? I said, it costs 10 grand to take pictures with Gene Simmons, just him from Kiss. You imagine what Paul Stanley is probably charging? Come on, man. You know, but George don't look at it like that. He just want to bring the people in. They want to tell their favorite P-Funk story and Take the pictures and out. You know what I mean? That's the kind of guy he is, you know. Very, very much down to earth, though. Very, very much down to earth. Yeah. Actually, back in uh, 89, I had him over to my house for dinner. I mean, that's how easygoing he was. Oh, nice. What you have to eat? <laughs> my uh, girlfriend made lobster. Nice. I know he loved that shit. Well, you for know real. what? As soon as he came in, he started, you know, rolling some up. Yeah, and we yeah. were so high that we could hardly eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. That's a great story. But I know you got it in because he loves to eat. Yeah, brother. But you he know, when you mentioned it. about the four twenty, I mean, and and maybe uh, a copy for you. When he was over my house that time, there was all kinds of like uh, funkadelic at that time. A lot of it was not in print anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and he wanted copies of a bunch of stuff I had at that time. Yeah. I can imagine, man. And I was surprised that he didn't already have it, you know? Well, he moving around like he is. I don't know, man. As far as him collecting or have a, having an album collection, he was never that kind of guy. Gary Scheider was more that guy. When I, when Gary was living, I used to go to Gary's house, and Gary had like this huge ass album collection. You know, uh, matter of fact, when I started playing in the band, I went to Gary's house and stayed with him for about two months, and. Uh, we started, like I started listening to some of the older funkadelic stuff, and actually we started, that's when we started incorporating stuff, incorporating stuff like um, Alice in My Fantasy, because they wasn't doing that on a regular basis, you know, and then we started opening the show with it going into Cosmic Slot, 
But I just told Gary, I said, man, we need to do way more stuff than what you guys are doing. You know, I, that's what I thought. But he heard me, you know, and he started trying to change things like that, you know. So, yeah, I, I think that over the years, you know, we've been very blessed, man, to, to make these comebacks. You know, you, you like you said, you've seen a period where we were going down and we come back up again. You know, I'm just glad that I wasn't so fickle, man. You know, I wanted to play with everybody's band. When I look back at that now, I could have done it. You know what I mean? But uh, I don't know if it, it has any substance to that kind of thing anymore. You know, I played with this band. I played with that band. I played with this band. Uh, yeah. I, you know, and then it depends on the band you with, too. Like I said, when I got with George, he was headlining. It wasn't like I felt like I had to keep climbing this mountain. You know what I mean? Let me get with them. Maybe they'll make it. George had already made it. Oh, yeah. So we were at the top of the game. You know, I'm looking at the Barcades open. I'm looking at Cameo open. I'm looking at Confunction open. I'm looking at Rick James open. I'm looking at all these bands. And I'm saying, wow, I'm in the fucking band that everybody's opening up. Uh, they, 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 he's the headliner. So why should I try to do anything else with another band? That would be like going down, I thought, at the time. You know? Do you... <laughs> Lige, do you, do, you, do you attribute the uh, kind of crumbling of that empire in the early 80s mostly to the record labels or to drugs? You know, because different people think it was drugs. Some people think it was more the labels. What Do you have any perspective on that? Well, I, I would just, you know, it was a combination of all of that. You know, it wasn't one thing. It was definitely a combination of things that, that happened at the time. And it all happened around the same time. Perfect you know, storm. Like, you know, like, I'll, I'll just give you, I don't know if you know a lot of history about, a lot of funk history, but um, this is a guy named Armin Baladian. Yeah, Westbound. He head of Westbound. And um, a lot of George's business dealings in the very beginning was, was done through this guy. You know, and what's so cool about what happened with George was like they outgrew West Brown. And that's when he started getting signed to uh, Casablanca, Warner Brothers, and Atlantic Records. And much, much, like the, much like the Ohio players. Yeah, yeah. Ohio players were the same with the Westbound. But George ended up having to go back to Armin to get help again. And he felt that that was the right thing to do. But when he did that, he got caught up into some business shit with Armin that he couldn't straighten out, you know, and that had to do with a lot of his publishing. So that's when things started getting stupid, like around the beginning of the 90s, when he actually started going into court and suing this Armin Baladian person. And that's when you start seeing changes and everything. So you got all this confusion going on with that. So, like you said, your show is about the music. Well, the music by now is, is being put on the back burner now. It, it's not the most important thing anymore. Suing this guy over here is the most important thing, trying to get the, the money for the, the whatever. So in the last so many years that you just now started to come to see us again, George starting to put the music first again. All of these suits and all of this kind of stuff that he was going after maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago, 
He ain't doing that no more. He's um, made a lot of settlements out of court. You know what I mean? Whereas he can move forward now. He's changed his uh, his whole lifestyle around. You know, not just physically, and 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 but you know mentally. You know what I mean? And how he looks at things and perceives things now. So you know, because I'm telling you, dude, I wouldn't probably be working with him if he didn't have a plan. You know what I mean? Because that's one thing about him. He, he he's very good at presenting things and having a plan for things. You know, and he had got away from that by trying to do all this court craziness. So I like to think that he's back in like the spot that he should be in. And that's making music for the fans himself because that's what he does good, real good. So if he can just stay in that court, keep the ball in that court, I think we'll be okay, you know? And he can resting assured that he did all he can like he said in this one little record, he was hard when he started. He'll be hard when he get through. That's his whole thing. <laughs> you know, you don't want to ever come off like some little flimsy little, you know, he's a tough cat. You know, that's what he is with his thing. So I get it. You know, I, I understand the whole Leo the Lion thing, the, the whole thing, <laughs> you know. Do, do so it's all good. I, I, I feel like they will, but do you think that um... – the band will keep going once George is no longer part of it. Man, you sound like Star, man. She has to sing. I had to get in her butt about that, you know. But see, here's the deal, man. Um, you know, George, this is like, like Star, okay, to, to elaborate on your, your thing, she gave me an example. She's like, you know how Maurice Wright gave it over to Verdine and Philip Bailey. You know, when George ain't gonna do it no more, then you guys can keep on going with it, you know? And I'm like, I just don't see it happening, man. I don't see, like George passes away, Tracy is not competent to take over. Like the son that's, you know, you pass it down to him or whatever, no. That's not going to happen. Um, I think when George is finished with this, it'll be finished. It'll be finished. I, I, I have projects that I'm doing. I'm going to instantly go 100% into them. I'm not going to stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to. Well, I know what I will do. And that's not try to take over something like this, George Clinton's thing, and try to go out there and promote it and think that it's gonna be on the same level. It's too much work, man. That's way too much work. These little side bands that we created are for a reason, you know what I mean? And, you know, once they are given a little bit more time to, to get involved in it, it'll be cool, but I just, I don't see Parliament Funkadelic going no further than where George takes it. I just don't see it. I don't, right now, his grandchildren, none of them are ready to take on that kind of responsibility yet. You know, um, it takes more than just talent, man. You gotta have a business head about this shit. 
And that's a lot involved with George because of who he is and how long he's been doing it and how he's been doing it. You know, and it's just the how part, not so much as how long, but how he did this, how he how he had to talk to these people and how they reacted to him. You know, it's a lot involved, man. You know, you, you know, if, if he was to retire tomorrow, you know, and say, I'm not doing it no more, uh, you know, I would be doing something completely different. You know, it would be music, but it won't be involved with George and his people like that. You know what I mean? I'm only there now. I, I can honestly just say, I'm here because I love music, but I'm really here because Mr. Clinton is still directing the mothership. Yep. Once he gives up the wheel, that mothership might be directed by anybody else doing it. Might not even, he might park it and say, okay, this is done for now. I'm out of it, you know, but as, that's how I see it now. I don't, I can't speak five, 10 years from now <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be, but uh, to be honest with you, that's how I see it right now. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I don't see it moving no further than from where George is taking it. You know? You'll have inklings of people doing different things, but as far as the movement and the way George does it, I don't see it being done like that. Like 25 people on stage and shit like that no more, you know? But I don't see that. that makes it all the more critical for anyone out there watching to get off your butt and jam and go see them. Go see them every chance you get. Yeah. Because they can last forever. <laughs> yeah. It really, and you would think, though, for some people like me, it feels like it's lasting forever. You know what I mean? Because we've been getting like so many chances, like a, a, a cat with nine lives, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I like to think now that, that George has reinvented itself again, you know? Uh, from shake the gate to this, you know, fraud dog thing, you know? So we'll just see, Scott. We'll see how it turns out, you know? <laughs> well, you got people like, uh, you know, the new power generation is playing on without Prince now and yeah, I know. And Rick James, his band, Stone City is doing it without him. Yeah. But they found some, a guy, you know. Um, well, we even, we was on tour with um, Stone, uh, um, uh, the Family Stone. They got a guy that looked just like and played keyboard from Columbus, Ohio. But, but then it becomes, it's something totally different. It's like a nostalgia act, sort of. It's not the real deal. Yeah, I got. I believe, that's why I say after George, man, isn't he? I'm, and I, I don't want to be part of no nostalgia guys, man. You know, I like, I like being a part of the real deal. You know, uh, it, it got to be one of them. Bernie's gone now. Bootsy's still here, but he plays bass, so I won't be playing in his <laughs> band. You know, and then I, I've heard he got another bass player to, to shadow him or whatever, but. Yeah, I'll be doing lights, man. I'm I'm trying to get it together now. Like Star Colors, this rock thing could blow up. You know, it's something like that could blow up for me, or anything could happen. And you know, you just never know. A lot of people have told me, man. You know, they would have been like had me involved in some of the things that they were doing 
but that George Clinton thing is right there in the way. You know what I mean? And a lot of people have respect for George. They don't want to start going inside his thing and trying to tear down nothing. You know what I mean? And a lot of people know I've been with him for a while now. You know, it's a few of us that have been with him. Like I talked to Maceo uh, some some time back, and he's like, "Lies, you know." George won't nobody if you try to if he tries to get you know you can't just fill your band up with a bunch of newness. You're not like a George, you know. He has to have people around him that know his shit, that know his music, that know how to work with him. He's not a new artist, you know, so he wants stuff the way he wants it. You know what I mean? It won't be easy to come in and replace like a lot of us. You know what I mean? Just won't <laughs> you know what I mean they'll be able to play it you know what I mean there's a lot of great musicians out there but to the liking of the way he likes it he always says like he, he prefers things a certain way so you got to give it to him and I learned a lot from him by doing my own band you know I, I'm kind of like that too I want to do things a certain way and I want to use certain people you know but there you go. Are there still uh, like young people showing up at the shows at all who are hoping to maybe audition or become part of the band the way, you know, like Danny did or the way Michael did back in the day? Yeah, we got a lot of great ones like that. Danny is definitely a good example. Uh, and uh, along with uh, the trumpet player's son, Benzel Cowan, they studied, man. They really studied and they came in like Danny just eat, slept, and, and breathe Bernie. You know, he, he he knows so much Bernie shit to be his age. We're all just away by what he knows and how he studied. And both of his parents are teachers, both piano teachers. So whatever he didn't understand about whatever Bernie was doing, he would take it to his mom and dad naked like show it to him you know what he was actually doing so he was blessed but he didn't he took that blessing and he didn't take it for granted now look at him he's playing with the man <laughs> you know a dream come true for that kid out of boston you know what i mean yeah that's a great story i'm proud of him i said you have a parting message for the funketeers out there oh keep coming to the shows please keep coming to the shows Keep believing in the funk. Uh, look out for uh, George's new record. Look out for anything that's coming out of George's camp. You know, um, there's a lot of new music coming out. He has a lot of productions that he's getting ready to do. And, um, you know, I just like to say, in my 40 years of being with George, that I've had like a special kind of relationship with the fans and the music and funk. And I want to say this to the fans that we love you and we always love the fans because the fans, I could be having a screwed up day, but by the time I hit the stage and I see all of those smiling faces, my day has just been made. So I want to definitely thank the fans for all of the years that they've given me comfort and assurance to know that they're going to be there every time we play. And now with this online cyber world, that's a whole nother group of people, you know, and I want to send out some love to those people, too, because, you know, George, as you know, now, Mr. Clinton is doing this Periscope thing. 
So to all you fans that are tuning in, the tens of thousands of people that Georgia's wife, you know, through her phone, she shows me every night how many people tune into these shows. I want to say thank you and keep tuning in, you know, and we'll keep doing the best we can to make it as funky as we always ever known it to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, like you said earlier, it's about the music and let's keep the music first. You know, it's enough politics going on in the world today. We can deal with that, but let's keep that music there so we can have brighter days. You know, you know how music can just bring you up. You can hear a song and it's like, wow, you're in it now, you know? So that's the power in music. My mother always told me that music was her main source of enjoyment and it always helped her out, brought her through a lot of rough times raising us. And, uh, you, you, you know, when you hear that from your parents or something, you, you kind of believe in music a little bit, that it has, a, it has its own power. So all you funk fans out there, we love you. And I hope to see you soon at a, at a show, at a P-Funk show near you, you know. What was it? Uh, catch us when we're in your part of town. Bound to be bopping. <laughs> we're everywhere dude <laughs> and i'm trying to hang man I'm, I'm taking my vitamins i'm taking everything i gotta do to keep that funk on the one so i can hit down on that bass pow, real hard so you can know that we in the house you know what i mean right on. we want the funk and we will have it you know and thanks to people like you scott keeping it alive with your online show and Keep doing it, man. Just keep doing it. And I love all of that behind you. You know, that's inspiring just to look at your wall in the back of you. As <laughs> you know, you're an avid listener. Much gratitude, much love, much appreciated oh. all the great music that you've done through the years and that you've kept oh. the faith and kept the funk through all these decades. So, <sighs> wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there you have it the word many, many words actually, from the man who has spent four decades holding down the bottom for the greatest funk show on earth. I have to admit, he seemed a bit weary at the outset and who wouldn't be considering P-Funk's incredibly rigorous touring schedule. But I really appreciated that he settled in and opened up for what I hope you will agree was a pretty amazing interview. I especially loved it when he talked about the different parts of the one and how feel and interpretation affects the funk. So cool. All appreciation, respect, and gratitude to Mr. Lige Curry for his tremendous body of work, commitment to the funk, and for his generosity of spirit in sharing so much with truth and rhythm. Also, sincere thank you to you, the viewers, and also the listeners. Be sure to be uh, be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments on FunkinStuff.net on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading providers. And be sure to subscribe to Truth and Rhythm on YouTube through the Funkin' Stuff channel. We need your support. Show the world you believe in and support the funk, jazz, and R&B artists and music featured in this program. Subscribe. Get a friend to subscribe. Get your cousins to subscribe. Get your mom to subscribe. Sign up. Also want to hear from you. So drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know what you like, maybe what you'd like to see improve, change, whatever. And especially let me know who else you'd like to see on the show. I'm hearing from a lot of viewers 
and it's a kick. So keep it coming. For now, until next time, as always, this is Scott Dr. J. Skolfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.